The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you will, open your Bibles up to Ruth chapter number 2. Ruth chapter number 2. I just want to preach on something this morning to give us a reminder of something that God has given us that sometimes we take granted, take for granted. In reading through the, the book of Ruth, it's something a little different as we see in the book of Ruth, while you're turning there, it, it, is, it is basically about a godly family who's living in the times of the judges. If you take a left in your Bible, you'll see the book of Judges. Well, this is said in that time. Well, in that time, the nation of Israel, in the book of Judges there, it, what they would do is they would live fine, everything would be going fine, and then they would fall into idolatry and sin, and then they would realize and repent what was going on and, and call upon God. And then God would send a judge or a deliverer to help the nation and it was a never-ending cycle through the book of Judges. It continued that. They would sin and then repent, ask God for help. God would help them, send, send a deliverer to them. And it was a never-ending cycle. But this book is said in that time. Now, we're going to be looking at chapter number 2. We'll start reading verse number 8 here in just a minute. But I kind of want to give you some context and some background of where we're at up till this point. Now, the book of Ruth, as we see, is talking about a godly family living these times of judges, but there's a man named Elimelech and uh, a woman named Naomi. Well, they're married, and they moved to the country of Moab. Well, because there was a famine in the land. Well, they had two kids, two boys, named Malon and Chilion. That's southern dialect. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but that, that's the names, Malon and Chilion, the two boys. So they move with their, their family here because of the famine. And when they get there, Elimelech, he passes away. And it leaves Naomi. Well, in the time the two sons had gotten married to two females from the country of Moab there named Orpah and Ruth. Now, in the process of time, now this is just a really, really quick overview, okay, to get where we're at. In the process of time, the sons, Malon and Chilion, they pass away. So it leaves Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth in the family. So over time, they move back, and, and, and Naomi, when they move back, they see a relative of Naomi's uh, husband, Elimelech, named Boaz. Well, they see Boaz. Well, Boaz is a rich guy. He owns a lot of fields. Back then, that was kind of measured how you were rich or not, is the fields that you own. Well, once they get back there, they see that, uh, uh, Boaz and Ruth. Now, after the harvest, the, the crops there, the reapers would go through and get the crops, get the best, and what was left, they would leave some in the field so that people, the poor people, could come along and pick up those crops and be able to feed themselves and eat. 
Well, when they got there, Ruth asked Naomi if she could go glean or pick up after the reapers had come through so they could get some food. So Naomi said that she could. So she goes and, and she gleans, she picks up those crops in the field. Well, then Boaz notices her out in the field picking up these crops. And he asked who it was. Asked one of his reapers or one of his workers, who is that? Well, he says, that's a Moabitess damsel. She's from Moab. And then Ruth then asked Boaz if she could glean in the fields. So that's a quick overview, a background, a context of where we are going. And where we're going is in verse number 8 of chapter 2. Now, I know we've been standing a lot, but if we could, let's all stand, if you're able, to read for the reading of God's Word. Brother, I appreciate the Scripture reading before the service or during the first of the service. I don't see that a lot in churches, but it, the emphasis is the Scripture, God's Word. And I appreciate that. In verse number 8 in chapter number 2 of Ruth, we see here, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art thirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto them, unto him, excuse me, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity. And thou art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. I want to preach on this subject this morning entitled, Do You Realize Your Debt? Do you realize your debt? Let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father in heaven, we love you. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that you've given for me to be here. Thank you for the safety that you've given me. Lord, I pray as we go into the service, Lord, that you will use your word and your word alone to touch hearts and change lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, uh, your, your willingness to Send your Son and die on the cross for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we, that you will just touch lives here today. Lord, I pray to just hide me behind your cross. In Christ's name I do ask and pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Robert Robinson had a rough beginning in his life. Early on, he was living at home. It was causing problems for his mom. Well, his mom sent him, this was back in the 1800s, his mom sent him to a barbering school in England. Well, once that, that barbering school, Robertson, Robinson, excuse me, did do nothing but get in more trouble. 
he's began to live a, a wicked lifestyle and, and do things that he knew he wasn't supposed to do because his mom had taught him the Scriptures. Well, one night as the, him and his friends were getting into some trouble and, and doing things they shouldn't do, they come across a, a place where they read your fortune, a fortune teller. So just for the fun of it, he said, we went in there and sat down and uh, let her attempt to tell, me, tell our futures. Well, of course, that turned that in turn well. They began laughing at her and got in trouble there, so they were kicked out of there. And as they was walking down the road, they heard this man preaching. And it was a man by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an old pastor, an old preacher back in that time who said his voice was like a foghorn, but it also was like a violin. And what that was is, is he was preaching. Robinson said they went in and sat down and listened to him preach. And as sitting there, he said that that message, that preacher was talking straight to my heart. He said it, was, it seemed like that message was just for me. He said, I never will forget the message because he said it was on the wrath to come. It was talking about the judgment of God to come. And he said, I didn't get saved that night, but three years I remembered that message. Three years, he said, that message haunted me. He said, three years the Lord worked on my heart, and I denied Him and denied Him. He said, but one night, he said, I accepted the Lord Christ as my Savior, thinking of that message. And he said, not only did the Lord save me, but He called me into the ministry, called me in to be a pastor. And he said, one day when I was preparing a message uh, to preach for Sunday, and he, he also wrote several hymns. And he said, this hymn came to me. The name of it is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And he said, part of the, the verses said this, he said, Old to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wondering heart to thee. Well, look at the first part there where it says, Old to grace, how great a debtor. See, the story of every believer's life is a story of grace. God's grace. Whether we realize it or not, Every one of us is a, is a debtor to God's grace. We're a debtor to God's grace. Each of our lives, there's a saving grace, a living grace, and there's also a dying grace. God's grace. See, the commencement of a Christian life, the continuation of a Christian life, and the conclusion of a Christian life is a story of God's grace. God's grace. Another one of the hymns, my daughter's bought me some books that looks and studies why certain hymn writers wrote hymns. What happens in their lives to, to write that hymn. And I enjoy that. I enjoy looking at those hymns and reading about how. And one of that is, is one of the greatest hymns is, God, is Amazing Grace. Written by John Newton. I don't care where you go in this country, whether it's sung or whether it's played on the piano, just about everybody recognizes 
amazing grace. It is. And you know what? That's just a small description of what God's grace really is. That's just a small description. It is amazing without a doubt. But John Newton at the end of his life, and if you read about his story, we won't go into his, into his background so much, but at the end of his life he, was, he wrote thousands of hymns and he was one of Britain's greatest preachers. But at the end of his life he couldn't see very good. So he would meet with another pastor and the pastor would read him the Scripture. And he would make comments on the Scripture. He would make comments and say different things on the Scripture. One particular day, the pastor read a, a, a portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Paul said that, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. So Newton says this. He commented on what the pastor said. He said, I'm not what I ought to be, how perfect or deficient I am. I am not what I hope to be, but soon I will be out of morality and with all sin and imperfection. Though I'm not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor yet what I hope to be, I can truly say this, I'm not what I once was. And that's a slave to sin and Satan. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you can say the same thing. All Christians can say, by the grace of God, we are what we are. Only by God's grace. And that's, we can say that, and each of us can empathize with that. Now, I like an acrostic for the explanation of what grace is. If you do an acrostic, you write grace up down on the left side. It's, it's uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. We get God's riches of what Christ and an expense that He did for us. We get God's grace. Grace can be defined as that we don't get what we deserve. Or grace is what we get what we don't deserve. We get what we don't deserve. And that's heaven. When we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we get heaven. We know we're going to live there for eternity. Mercy is defined as we don't get what we do deserve. And that's a place in hell. We don't, we don't deserve heaven. But when we accept Him, we get that. We get that. See, Ruth understood how great a debtor to grace she really was. And she, like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I can say I am what I am only by the grace of God. And we as Christians can say we only what we are what we are only by God's grace. All the glory she's experienced is that we're going to look at were because the grace that was given to her. All the grace that was given to her. Look back in verse number 2 with me real quick. Of chapter 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me know now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him whose sight I shall find grace. Now look in verse number 10 with me. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? See those words, grace. That's grace. That's the emphasis we see here 
is grace. And I want to give you three descriptions of God's grace. As little as I, as best I can, I want to show you three descriptions of God's grace. Number one, we see God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. We've said that. But that's only one adjective that can describe God's grace to us. And we see in Ruth, we see how amazing God's grace is on our part. When, when Ruth received grace from Boaz, we can see how much grace we receive from God. As we look at Ruth, I want to look at Ruth here for a few minutes. Number one, we see that nationally she was rejected. Ruth was rejected nationally. Look in verse number two again. At the first of it, at the first of the verses, and Ruth the Moabitess. The Moabitess. See, she was identified from Moab, and when Boaz asked his servant who the stranger was in the field, the, the guy identified her as a Moabitess damsel. Now, when you talk about somebody might come from Canada or Mexico or a different country, we don't, might not think anything about that. We just say, okay, they're from a different country. Okay. Well, that's what wasn't how it was back in the time, in the book of Ruth. If somebody was from Moab, that was a problem to a Jew. That was a problem. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3 says, An Ammonite and a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. What he's saying is, is the Ammonites and the Moabites, because of their wickedness, were subject to disgrace of God and the nation of Israel. So the Israelites saw them as a disgrace. But Boaz was a Jew, and Ruth was from Moab. Thus, nationally, she was rejected. She was a member of that race that was judged and condemned by God. But can I tell you this? Ruth is just a picture of all of us before God. All of us. We were all sinners under condemnation. We were all sinners before God. Ruth was no better than we are, and we're no better than Ruth. We were all sinners under condemnation from God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3 tells us that we're under the influence of Satan before we were saved. We lived under his influence. We walked according to the power of Satan. We walked according and lived according to, to the prince of the power of the air. We lived under Satan's control and commands. We were spiritually disobedient before we were saved. So we see that nationally Ruth was rejected. But we, as sinners, were under condemnation. See, we were rebellious to God's word. We were resistant to God's ways. And we were resistant to God's will. We were no better than Ruth, and she was no better off than we were. So nationally, we see that she was rejected. But secondly, personally, she was received. Personally, she was received. Look in verse number 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go, for there, go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. See, Ruth was called a Moabitess, but now 
Boaz did not receive her as the Moabite. He did not receive her as a foreigner. He received her. He called her my daughter. He received her. The, the law rejected Ruth. But Boaz received her. See, we were condemned and without hope. But by God's amazing grace, we've been accepted. By His amazing grace, we've been accepted. The song, part of the song goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, we were sinners, but by the grace of God, now we're saints. We were children of wrath, but now we're the children of God. Once we had hope, but now we have... Once we didn't have any hope, but now we have the blessed hope. Once we were rejected, but now we were received. When we received the God's amazing grace. Sam Walton began the Walmart chain back in 1962. And it grew to, in, uh, in 2014 and employs 2.2 million people. Serves more than 200 million people each week at more than 11,000 stores in 27 countries. We call that a successful business. The Wright brothers could take some used bicycle parts, wire, metal, and canvas and make an airplane. We call that genius. Michelangelo should, could take some brushes and paints and paint a masterpiece on the Sistine Chapel. We call that art. But God can take a poor, worthless person, condemned, wash him in the blood of the Lamb, and make him a son of God. We call that grace. And that's what we receive when we accept God's amazing grace. That's the story of God's amazing grace. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. We were rejected, but now we received. We were sinners under condemnation, but we're now saved by His amazing grace. See, Ruth was a Moabitess, but to Boaz, she was his daughter. She had been rejected, but now she was received. Instead of getting what she deserved, she found grace. So we see God's amazing grace. Secondly, we see God's abundant grace. God's abundant grace. Ephesians 2 and verse 7 says, Exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. See, in Ruth we see the exceeding riches of grace that was shown to her by Boaz. We saw what Boaz did for her. The grace that Boaz showed her. And when we talk about the grace of God, we speak about everything that God has given to us. What God has given to us. Boaz gave many things to Ruth. But when we look and we compare this story, we see this story, we can look at God and see what He's given to us. By His grace. You know, sadly, many times we take that for granted. What God gives us. By His grace. But He does. God's grace is abundant in our life. We see it every day. If you're a child of God, you see God's grace in your life every day. And that grace brings three different things into our lives. Number one, we see that it brings direction in our lives. Direction in our lives. Look back at verse number 8 again. 
Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on thy field, that they do reap, and, thou, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. See, grace brings blessings and of guidance and direction into our lives. It's like when you're on a boat out in the middle of the sea and you don't have a GPS, you don't have a captain, you don't have anything, and you're just sitting there. And you're just going with wherever the waves take you. That's not a good place to be. I've been there. That's not a good place to be. But when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and you ask Him to save you, it's like Him walking on that ship, giving you direction. Giving you where to go, what to do. See, His grace brings directions in our lives. Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall do what? Direct thy paths. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have trust in God. You cannot have direct thy path without trusting God. doesn't work. It has to go together. If you don't trust in Him, why should He direct your path? Back many years ago when I was working as a law enforcement officer for about 10 or 11 years, I did undercover work. And that was probably one of my favorite times, except for this one instance. As I was doing undercover work back in North Carolina, I wouldn't do it in the city that I worked. I would go to a different city. Well, I went to a bigger city because what was going on, a motorcycle gang then, was causing major problems for a city, a bigger city back then. So they wanted somebody to go and try to get something done undercover into that motorcycle gang. Well, believe it or not, at one time I did have hair. I lost it with four daughters, but I did have hair at one time. Well, back in, in that time, I, I, uh, uh, you, you played the part of who you were going to be. So I played the part of a biker. What I did is they, we had seized, a, illegal, uh, seized a, a, a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I had grown my hair, I, well, I had shaved my hair, and I had grown my goatee to where it hung down about the middle of my chest. And it was braided. So I played the part. I played the part. Now, in the meantime, when you go do undercover stuff, you have to rely on the people around you. Because I'm telling you, you get in some situations that are really, really scary. Well, this one day I had met this one biker and he had introduced me into some other bikers and they were going to take me to the club for the first time. A motorcycle club. Now, you got to realize back in North Carolina, you have got to be really trusted to be, to be taken into that club. Well, they were doing a lot of illegal stuff with drugs and guns and that kinds of things. So uh, I was able to, to make the friendship, so to speak, and this one day, he calls up in the morning and he says, let's go to the club tonight. And that's what we were wanting to do to get in there because that's supposedly where all the stuff was, the bad stuff. 
So I said, okay, all right. So I get the, the, my uh, team together, and we go over to this bigger city where it's at. As I was riding down with this guy, and we go into the club. Well, in the meantime, I'm wearing a wire where people can hear me about, and there's about five or six guys that are around this club that I cannot see. I cannot see them. But I know that they're there. And I trust them with my life. Because I had four kids then when this was going on. And I trusted them with my life. Because I know, I know if things went bad in that club, it wasn't going to go good for me. But I went into that club. And in that club, there was many people. There was guns and just all kinds of wicked stuff there. That's what we were looking for. Well, all of a sudden, I get taken into a back room. And I get into this back room and they say, you need to strip down. I said, what do you mean? I said, no, I don't do that stuff. That's weird. And he said, no, you're going to strip down because we're going to make sure you're not caught. I was like, this is not going to go well. So I'm sitting here and I'm trying to deflect it off as much as I can and they bring out this metal detector. Now, this is a motorcycle club that has a metal detector. And they waved me with a metal detector. Well, they didn't find the wire. So they kept on insisting and insisting and I wasn't going to do it. That's just one thing you didn't do. Well, then they bring three or four more guys in there and they said, you're going to do it. And I said, oh, this is not going to go good. I got a thousand things going through my mind. And I'm telling these guys, I'm giving them the signal to come in. I was like, it's time. It's time because this is going to turn ugly real quick. So I'm giving them the signal to bust in the club and come get me and save me. And then the next thing I know, a guy pulls out a gun and points it right at my head and says, you're a cop, I'm going to kill you. And the next thing I know, I saw my life flash before my eyes. I said, oh Lord, not now. But the next thing I know, I've got five guys who were coming in and took this guy down. I trusted them with my life. I knew they was going to be there in my life. I knew that or I would have never went in. See, with God's grace in our lives, if you trust Him, He's always going to be there for you. But you have to trust Him for direction and guidance in your life. It's like Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 where he left Ur the Chaldees. And he didn't know where he was going. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He just knew he went. And God guided him day by day. Day by day He showed him where He wanted him to go. And I can imagine, can you imagine back there, I like, to, I like to think about Bible times in the back and that kind of a thing. Can you imagine Abraham walking by and it's like, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. Well, are you, are, are you going to, to uh, Washington or Montana or where are you going? I don't know. I'm just going. But that's what Abraham did. He went. And you know why he went? Because he trusted God. And if we trust God in our lives, He will guide and direct us. 
as he did as we see here in Ruth, God will guide and direct us in our lives. He will show us where we need to go. But you gotta have that trust in the Lord before the direct that pass. You gotta have that. So we need to trust in the Lord because He will guide us. Not only will He give us direction in our lives, number two, He'll give us protection for our lives. He will give us protection for our lives. From what we know, Ruth was a very attractive woman, but Boaz made sure that she was going to be safe. God is watching over our lives. He's the keeper of our soul and the guard of our lives. I trusted in those guys in that time. I trusted them with my lives, but ultimately it was God that protected me. And I trusted my life with, to God. And He protected me in that situation. Psalm 121 and verse 5 says, The Lord is your keeper. Psalm 121 and verse number 8 says, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from time forth and even forevermore. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not, thou, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will I help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. See, God will bring protection into our lives. We see that with Ruth in, in verse number 9. He says this, and he says, And go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? Boaz was protecting Ruth. We trust God with our lives. God will bring protection for our lives. Thirdly, we also, bring it, we also see that it brings satisfaction for our lives. Satisfaction for our lives. Look back in verse number 9. At the end of the verse, he says, And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So, Ruth is out here and she's gleaning in this field, this hot field. And afterwards, and, and, and the reapers would go through and she would go and pick up the crops. And she would get thirsty like anybody else did. But when those, when those people come through and picked up what was left, that water that they gave them was for the workers. It wasn't for the poor people that came behind and picked up. It was for the workers. So what Boaz said, he said, Ruth, if you get thirsty out there picking up those crops, Go over there and get you a drink of water. It's okay. You go ahead. And it brought satisfaction. Boaz brought satisfaction into her life because he said, "Go get if you get thirsty, go get a drink of water. Go. So he brought satisfaction into her lives. See, under, he said, if you get thirsty, satisfy your thirst. The abundant grace of God has brought satisfaction into our life. See, when we're born without God, we're born under condemnation we're sinners we have that hole in our heart that only god can feel there's a hole in our heart that only god can feel and when he feels that heart when we accept him as our savior when we ask him to come in our ask him to come into our heart and save us he feels that and when he feels that that brings a satisfaction into your life that you've never had before you never had before it did me when God saved me, I got, when I got saved, I, I, it brought a satisfaction into my life that I, I have never had prior to that. And He does that for our lives. See, the answer to the direction in our life, the protection for our life, and the satisfaction to our life is to experience God's amazing, 
abundant grace. That brings those things into our lives. Finally, we see number three, God's astounding grace. God's astounding grace. See, everything happened so fast. One day, Ruth didn't know where she was going to have her next meal, where she was going to stay, what was going to go on. But that next day, she was blessed beyond comprehension. That's what God does for us when He saves us. We really don't know what's going to happen in the future. But we do know this. We accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We know no matter what happens, what happens, we live with Him eternally. And that will bring a satisfaction into all our lives. All our lives. But we see that, that Boaz provided for Ruth. He brought that into her life. And we see with the demonstration of Ruth in verse number 10, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? See, Boaz did all of this for Ruth. And Ruth realized she was a debtor to that grace that Boaz was showing to her. We are a debtor to grace that, of that God's grace and what He has shown to us. So it was overwhelming to her heart. When she experienced this, it overwhelmed her heart. And when we experience God's grace, it should be overwhelming to our own hearts. To our own hearts. It was more that she could believe all she could say was why. There's nothing more overwhelming to the heart than what God has done for you and me to send His Son to die on an old rugged cross for us that we may have eternal life. That we may have eternal life. It's overwhelming to the heart to realize that God would love us, save us, and make us His own child. That's overwhelming. Secondly, we see not only was it overwhelming to her heart, it was overflowing from her heart. Verse 13, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like, one un, like unto one of thine handmaids. Ruth realized what she had received. What she had received, and now it's overflowing, that grace she received is overflowing from her heart because what she wanted to do? She wanted to do anything she could for Boaz. She wanted to do anything, serve him in any way. When we receive God's grace in our life, a proper response is our service to him. We should be we should want to do everything that we can do to serve God in our lives. No matter what it is. That should be overflowing from our hearts. A desire to please God is the right response to God's grace. When you receive God's grace, you'll want to serve Him with your life. With your life. So we see that, that Ruth received the grace from, from Boaz. And we put that and we look at it in our own lives. And when we think back, we can say, we receive God's grace in how many great and wonderful things that He has done in each and every one of our lives. See, I can only give you three, three adjectives, descriptions to God's grace. Amazing, abundant, and astounding. But there's many more that could be said. I give you a reminder of this. 
an understanding of God's grace really reminds us of what a debtor we really are to Him. And it need, we need to be serving Him on a daily basis. Thanking Him for the many things that He's done in our lives. God's amazing, abundant, and astounding grace. Always remember that. God's grace is amazing. Pastor. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.